But last week we began our journey through the life of Christ from birth to resurrection, from Christmas to Easter. Now, of course, having worked through the Christmas story uh, already just uh, previously in December, uh, last week we kind of jumped ahead on our timeline uh, to the only biblical story that we have of Jesus' childhood, an event that happened when Jesus was just 12 years old. And just in case you, you missed that, let me just give you a quick recap of that story. Uh, according to Luke chapter 2, uh, as uh, Mary and Joseph went to the Passover celebration uh, as they did uh, every year, but this year was uh, going to be a little bit different. This time, when the Passover celebration was over, Mary and Joseph started heading home, but they didn't realize that Jesus had stayed behind in Jerusalem. And they traveled for an entire day before realizing that Jesus wasn't with them. And so they turned around and they came back and they spent three days searching for Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. Finally, they found him in the temple of all places. Uh, he was sitting with the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. And of course, when they found him, Mary and Joseph understandably had some mixed emotions. You know, certainly they were relieved to have found Jesus. But at the same time, they were a little bit upset with him about the, the emotional toll that they'd been through for these last three days. Um, uh, Jesus had already or had always been uh, a responsible young man. As we talked about a little bit last week, uh, as the Son of God, Jesus never sinned. And, and so I'm sure Mary and Joseph's frustration with Jesus, you know, may have been a, a new experience for them. I, I think Luke says it well in Luke 2:48. It says, his parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But to this, Jesus gave a, a most amazing reply. He said, but why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? What a response. You know, even at this young age, Jesus already understood who he really was, who his real father was, and he had made it a priority to be about his father's business, carrying out his father's will. And that actually is a key point in our passage that we're going to look at today. Uh, today, we're jumping ahead even a little further on the timeline to where Jesus is about 30 years old, and he's about to begin his public ministry. Uh, and even though 18 years have passed, or thereabouts, uh, since this incident back at the temple, Jesus continues to make it his priority to carry out his Father's will, something that he will single-mindedly do for the rest of his time on earth. And of course, we're going to get into that in a minute, but first let's pause here and pray and ask God just to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, thank you again for this opportunity to open up your word and to, to look at uh, these words that you've recorded for us, uh, words that uh, we understand to be the, the, uh, the inspired word of God. These are your words that, that give life to our dead, dry bones. Uh, so I pray that as we uh, look at this passage this morning, uh, that you would speak to us, that your Holy Spirit would reveal new things about ourselves, about you, and, and how you want us to uh, relate to you. Uh, so thanks again for this time. pray that you teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the passage that I want us to look at this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 3, and the event specifically that I want to look at is the baptism of Jesus, which is really only the last four verses of this chapter. But to understand those four verses, we kind of need to look at the rest of the chapter. So we're going to begin Matthew chapter 3, starting at verse 1, and it goes like this. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. 
John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair, and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and, from, and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. And we'll pause here for a minute. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on these first few verses that lead into the baptism of Jesus, but there are a couple things that I think we need to make note of. First of all, we need to understand what John's baptism was all about, because it's a little bit different than the baptism that we would practice today. Our baptism today is primarily symbolic of our union with Christ's death and resurrection, whereas John's baptism was really more symbolic of repentance and uh, being cleansed was kind of the idea behind that. Uh, you'll notice that in verse 2, John's primary message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And then verse 6 explains, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. For those who heard and obeyed John's message, uh, baptism was a picture of purifying themselves before God. It was kind of symbolic of, of cleansing themselves spiritually in preparation for the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, kind of throughout the Old Testament, we see that God required the Israelites to practice uh, ceremonial washing or bathing in order to come into the presence of God. Uh, for example, Every time that the priest was to go into the tabernacle to bring a sacrifice to the Lord, uh, they actually had to wash their hands and feet before they went in. If you look at Exodus 30, verse 17, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a bronze wash basin with a bronze stand. Place it between the tabernacle and the altar and fill it with water. Aaron and his sons will wash their hands and feet there. They must wash with water whenever they go into the tabernacle to appear before the Lord and when they, when they approach the altar to burn up their special gifts to the Lord, or they will die. They must always wash their hands and feet or they will die. This is a permanent law for Aaron and his descendants to be observed from generation to generation. All right, so that's just kind of one example that we have of God's requirement to be clean in order to come into his presence. Or, or for another example, uh, every year on the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would, would place his hands on the scapegoat and, and symbolically kind of transfer the nation's sins onto that scapegoat, and then they would send it off into the wilderness, the man that took the, the goat out into the wilderness, before he could come back into the camp, he would have to wash his clothes and then also take a bath to be cleansed, right? The, the idea here is that he had been contaminated by sin and he had to be cleansed before he would come back into the camp, into God's presence. Uh, and so those are just a, a couple of examples. And we do see this, this idea of, of washing yourself to be clean and pure before coming uh, into the presence of God. That was a, a key element of the, the many practices that God instructed the, the Israelites to follow. It, it was symbolic of God's requirement for us to be without sin, to be holy before we can come uh, near to him. And so John's baptism was really kind of a, an extension of this, kind of a almost maybe a modern twist on their tradition, so to speak. Now, to be clear, we don't actually see uh, this kind of uh, washing or baptism commanded by God in the Old Testament. Uh, this wasn't one of their uh, Old Testament laws. Um, but John used this picture of washing one's entire... Uh, entire self, kind of as this, this vivid illustration showing one's desire to be clean in order to come before the presence of God. It was kind of a, a public recognition that, yes, I am a sinner and I need to be cleaned before God. Uh, it was both a, a confession of sin and a declaration of repentance in order to draw close to God or, or to prepare the way for the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. 
And actually, baptism was practiced uh, like this even a little bit before John the Baptist came on the scene. Although generally, in those cases, uh, it was a Gentile who was converting to Judaism that would be baptized like this. You know, from a Jewish point of view, obviously a Gentile was sinful. They needed to be cleansed before they could come to God. Um, but for John now to be baptizing Jews, that was something a little bit different. Uh, in the minds of the, the many of the Jewish people, especially the religious leaders, uh, they didn't see any need for John's baptism. Uh, no need to be clean in order to draw near to God in this way. Because as Israelites, you know, they were already God's people. They were, they were in the in club, so to speak, in their minds. And so baptism for them was kind of unnecessary. But of course, John saw things a little bit differently. And we see this tension between John and some of these religious leaders in the following verses. Take a look at verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe, for we are descendants of Abraham. That means nothing. For I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he'll clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Now, you can kind of see that John did not hold back any punches. Uh, he boldly declared to the religious leaders that, you know, just being an Israelite was not going to make you right with God. You actually had to repent of your sin and live in a way that pleased God. You know, the, the proof was in the pudding, so to speak. And if they didn't make things right with God, then watch out. Judgment was coming. Uh, someone was coming soon who was much greater than John. Someone who would bring the acts of God's judgment, so to speak. Uh, someone who would purify them, not with water like what John was doing, but he would purify them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And of course, that someone would be Jesus, although at this point, nobody really had any idea who Jesus was. But John's warnings to those who thought they were good enough uh, were very pointed and powerful. You know, he was a fire and brimstone preacher if there ever was one, right? Repent of your sins or face the coming judgment. And really, those warnings apply to us today, too. You know, we need to know that just being a good person or just going to church or just coming from a Christian family does not make us right with God. We need to personally acknowledge our own sinfulness to before God and to repent of that sin. Uh, that is to, to change the way we live. We need to put uh, our faith in Jesus's or in God's son, Jesus, for forgiveness and life. Because if we don't, you know, the, the same applies to us. We will face God's judgment. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 reminds us, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. I know I have sinned enough in my times to be condemned a thousand times over. I, I need the grace and the forgiveness of God. And, and I found that through Jesus Christ. And I truly hope that each one of you have found that as well. You know, like John, I would urge you to confess and repent of your sins, turn to God and put your faith in Jesus uh, for forgiveness and life. 
And then now, speaking of Jesus, this brings us to the central part of this passage. Uh, this is kind of the, the key that we've been trying to get to. Let me read now verse 13. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? And I think John's got a great point, right? Why on earth would Jesus need to be baptized? You'll remember from last week that we talked about Jesus had lived a perfectly obedient life to God, right? Throughout his whole life, he never did wrong. Uh, we actually read from 1 Peter 2.22. It says, he never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. Right, of all the people on the planet, Jesus was the one person who did not need to confess and repent uh, of any sin. He was already 100% completely pure and holy before God. So why would he come to John to be baptized? Well, let's take a look at Jesus' response in verse 15. But Jesus said, It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. Or as the NIV puts it, let it be so now, for thus is it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So what exactly does Jesus mean? What is it that God requires? Or, or how would Jesus' baptism fulfill all righteousness? What's going on here? Well, again, you'll remember from last week that Jesus was single-mindedly focused on accomplishing his Father's will. And that, by the way, is really the definition of righteousness, right? Righteousness is carrying out the will of God, right? Doing things exactly the way that God wills them to be done. That is doing right. That is uh, righteousness. And so when you carry out the will of God, you are fulfilling righteousness. And for Jesus... Right now, being baptized was part of God's will for him. It was, it was an important step in Jesus' overall mission in life. It was part of the process in which Jesus would identify with sinful man, ultimately leading him to die on a cross in our place. Uh, you'll remember we read from uh, Hebrews chapter 2 last week, and I'll read that again. It says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people." So Christ's baptism was part of the process in which he was made to be in every respect like us. Now, not to say that he sinned, because he did not, but he took the position of a sinner. He identified with us as sinners. In effect, Jesus stood in that river in our place, right? Through this baptism of repentance, Jesus was confessing as if they were his own sins that he had not committed, the sins of each one of us. And yet, he took on those sins as if they were his own. And ultimately, he would go to the cross to pay the price for those sins. This was the very reason why Jesus came into the world in the first place. This would be the ultimate fulfillment of all righteousness. Now, I don't know if John fully grasped all the ramifications of this at this point, but I think he was beginning to. Uh, just shortly after this, uh, when he sees Jesus coming, uh, he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus' baptism was kind of the, one of the first steps in this whole process. And so we read at the end of, of uh, verse 15, So John agreed to baptize him. 
After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. You know, as Jesus takes this important step in obedience, in carrying out his life's mission according to the will of God, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit both expressed their united approval of what had just happened, right? The Holy Spirit comes and, and settles on Jesus like a dove, and God the Father declares from heaven, this is my dearly loved Son who brings me great joy. And this is actually one of the few times that we see all three persons of the Godhead specifically mentioned together. Uh, now, of course, we know that they've always worked together uh, in perfect unison in all things. But this is one of those moments where we actually get to see this all happen right in front of our eyes. Now, of course, the, the point of this passage isn't necessarily to, to give us a lesson on the Trinity, although uh, that's certainly something that we can glean from this. But it seems that God chose to make this very public statement at this stage uh, in Jesus' life to, to set the stage for Jesus' uh, continuing ministry on earth. Uh, God makes two very clear and, and powerful statements about Jesus. First of all, God identified Jesus as his son. Uh, as we saw last week when Jesus was at the temple, Jesus knew that he was not the son of, you know, Joseph the carpenter, but he was, in fact, the son of the Most High God. Now, at his baptism, everyone else was made aware of that as well. And it wasn't just that Jesus was claiming to be the son of God, but actually, you know, God himself made that declaration from heaven. And I think this really put the, the seal of, of God's approval on Jesus' life and everything that he would do over these next uh, few years. Uh, secondly, God declared his absolute approval of Jesus and what he was doing in this. Uh, as the Son of God, of course, as we've mentioned, Jesus had no sin to repent of, but yet his Heavenly Father approved of this baptism of repentance because it was all part of God's plan to redeem mankind. And so when God declares, this is my dearly loved son uh, who brings me great joy, I think God's joy applies not only to the joy that he had in his own son, in that relationship there that has been existing for all time, but also to the joy that he has in what Jesus was doing, right? God was delighted that Jesus was carrying out the plan of salvation that would allow sinful man to be made right with God. Uh, Peter, or not Peter, Paul, would later write in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he writes, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You know, I love that God was delighted to adopt us as his sons and daughters, and thus he was delighted in what Jesus was doing to make that possible. I think this is just a, an incredible reminder to us of, of how valuable we are to God and how much he loves us. He delights in bringing us into his family. Uh, he, he gets great pleasure from drawing us near to himself, uh, no matter how far away uh, we may seem. Uh, I think that's pretty amazing. And, and I think that's maybe a, a good point for us to, to end on and to dwell on today with us just marveling at the incredible love that God has for each one of us. You know, it's astounding to think that Jesus, God himself, our creator, would become like one of us. He would take on flesh and blood so that he could take our sin upon himself in order that we could be adopted into his family. 
That's amazing. You know, at the beginning of our message, uh, we talked about how John's baptism was a little bit different than the baptism that we practice today, and, and Jesus' baptism was a little bit different than both of them. But let me just say a couple of words about our baptism today. Today, our baptism isn't primarily, not primarily about confession and repentance, as we've been talking about, although that certainly is a, a key element of that. But our baptism really follows more in the, the steps of Jesus. You know, just as Jesus was baptized to identify with us as sinners, we as sinners get baptized to identify with Christ. You know, in, in his baptism, Jesus confessed sins that were not his own, right? He confessed our sins on our behalf. But in a like manner, in our baptism today, we proclaim a death and resurrection that were not our own. We proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Uh, Romans 6, 4 and 5 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Now, what a, what a glorious promise. Baptism is a wonderful example or illustration of how we've become united with Christ. Because Jesus accepted our sins as if they were his own, we get to accept Christ's death and resurrection as if they were our own. You know, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. Praise the Lord for that. And on that note, I should just mention that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're, you're trusting Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and for life eternal, but you've never been baptized, I'd really encourage you to consider doing that. Um, Jesus commanded his disciples in, in Matthew 28, 19. You've probably heard this before. Jesus said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, just as Jesus was baptized in obedience to his Father, he commands us to be baptized uh, in obedience to him. And I know, the, I know the river is frozen solid right now, and I, I won't take you out. Well, I, if you want, I'll go chop a hole and we'll do it. But you know, there's swimming pools, there's hot tubs we can bring in a tank or whatever we need to do. But if God is tugging on your heart saying, yeah, take this step of obedience, identify with me. I identified with you. Will you identify with me? Uh, and if that's something that you'd be interested in, in doing, please come talk to me after the service or sometime this week. Uh, I would love to be part of that process with you. Dear God, thanks so much for this reminder again of all that you went through to redeem us, to buy us back from the, the clutches of sin and death. Um, you took our sin upon yourself, uh, even so much to the point of, of dying on a cross for us. And you did that all so that we could be with you forever. God, we, we can't even understand that, but we are so thankful this morning for your incredible love for us. I pray that as we go through these doors, that not only would we dwell on this thought and just be encouraged on our own hearts, but we would go and, and we would share this amazing, great news with the people around us. May they know that there is a God in heaven who delights to adopt them into his family. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.